Hello everyone, welcome back to Fear. In today's episode, we're going to go ahead and we're going to keep reading the Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer every week. So we're going to be on part 6, and I think we might go out to part 8. So without further ado, let's get into The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week by Polterkites. Rule 7. The intruder will not move as long as you have guests in the house. Guests who actually want to be there. Coat rack. Where are you? said Mitch. Sounded like he hadn't slept in days. Home, I said. Rifling through a box of tools. My phone, set to speaker, sat on the garage floor. You didn't see my calls? Yeah, my bad. Service out of here. Look, Brandon, he clears his throat. I need you to be 100% honest. Did you speak with my... With the neighbor? Yes. A long, draining silence followed, and then click. Mitch ended the call. Shaking my head, I went back to searching for tools. Right now, I didn't have time to worry about Mitch. First, I needed to barricade the basement door. Second, I needed to call every single person on my contact list and offer them a spare bedroom, rent-free. Digging through the tangled mess of tools, my hand finally gripped around a familiar, smooth, wooden handle. Out from the box, I pulled a hammer. Bingo! Resting on a single crutch, I stood at the basement door, pounding nail after nail into scraps of two-by-fours and whatever else I could find. Unlike Paul, I didn't have the resources or the knowledge to build an apocalyptic bunker door. This makeshift zombie's defense would have to do for now. Hammering away faster and faster, I once again fell into a strange calm, a meditative peace that filled every breath of purpose in my hand slipped. The hammer slammed in my pointer finger and throbbing pain shot up my arm. Cursing through my teeth, I clenched my right hand. The hammer fell to the floor and dented headfirst into the hardwood. Fucking idiot, fucking idiot, stupid fucking idiot. My thoughts exploded into a tirade of self-abusive screaming. A few seconds went by and the pain numbed. My thoughts cleared. I took in three slow breaths and squat down to pick up my hammer. I froze. To the bottom crack of the door, the basement light was on. I honestly couldn't remember if I had turned it off or not, but the light being on didn't bother me. Not anymore. Not after everything I've seen. What bothered me was a dark shadow stood on the other side of the door, flanked by orange glow. That and the sound of breathing. Barely audible, but unmistakable. Labored, strained, and rattling like an empty bottle of spray paint. Suddenly, the door pushed forward slightly, as of hands pressed against the other side. Breathing deep, I grabbed... I gripped my hand around the hammer and rose to standing. Leaning forward, I turned my head and pressed my ear flat against the door, listening. The intruder was whispering. Fucking idiot. He gasped, quick and stuttering. Stupid fucking idiot. Labored breathing continued all the while, almost as if it was two separate voices. He was repeating my earlier thoughts aloud, right down to every random intrusion. Tend the fucking floor. Tend the floor. Lights on? Turn them off? The whispering continued. Is that breathing? I think, I think. Breathing. House. Coat rack. Basement. Tend the floor. I'd heard enough. I stepped back, shook my hand out, lined up another nail, and hammered away. It's not real, I told myself. It's all inside your head. 
Finally, I slammed the last nail onto the last board. I took four steps back and marveled at the ramshackle creation. It wasn't pretty, but it got the job done. My eyes flicked involuntarily to the bottom of the door. The light was off now, and the whispering had stopped. Wiping my forehead, I turned back towards the living room and slumped down onto the couch. I took out my phone and pulled open my contact list. Time to find a willing guest. Two hours later, dialing number after number, straight to voicemail after straight up to voicemail, and not a single bite, coat rack. Only one person actually answered. A roommate from college. I've been more than down, he said, but I'm in Canada now. Of course. Maybe I'd have to put an ad on Craigslist. I tucked my phone away, just about to give up when... Three small knocks on the front door. I had a pretty good idea who it was. Pushing up from the couch, I grabbed my crutches, marched across the room, and pulled open the door. Hey, Brandon. There stood Howie, dressed in a red sweater, red jeans, and a green backpack, looking a little less chipper than usual. Hey, Howie, I said, trying to get my best act, trying my best act normal. Despite the fact a living nightmare stood mere feet away, Howie, despite all his quirks, was a sight for sore eyes. Sure, I didn't trust him, but at least he wasn't Mitch or Paul. Yeah, so this, uh, kind of awkward, but I'm wondering if I could crash here for a couple days, he said. I could sleep on the couch, pay rent, whatever. No worries if not. He shrugged. I looked back over my shoulder, then back at Howie. Uh, sure. Immediately, he pushed past me, strolled across the room, threw his backpack on the floor, plopping down on the living room couch, and kicked up his feet. What's the door, he said, pointing at the barricaded basement door. Pulling the front door shut, I stepped forward. It's, uh... It's an art project, I lied. Replacing the door with frames anyways. Huh, said Howie, clearly not buying it. Shrugging, he turned back on the TV. Where's the remote? Howie's sudden arrival was suspiciously convenient at best and outright malicious at worst. But right now, I didn't have time to think about it. If the rules held, his being here would at least buy me some time to figure out how to stop all this. Maybe I'd sell the house. Maybe I'd defer ownership back to the bank. But judging by the no third parties rule, I doubted either of those would actually work. So far, the only people who knew about the intruder were Mitch and his father. And according to Mitch, he didn't count as third party because he already believed. But Paul, his father? That part was getting to me. Something was missing. Paul's whole fix-your-life, fix-your-problems spiel bothered me. But something else bothered me more, and I didn't know what it was. Like that feeling you get when you're about to leave home, and you know you've left something important behind like a nagging itch in the back of your head. I offered Howard the spare room, but he preferred the couch. I didn't fight him on it. I wanted to keep him here as long as possible. I didn't even know why he needed to stay. It was kind of nice not to be alone in the house for once. At half past nine, Howie fell asleep watching Jeopardy reruns. I muted the television and went upstairs. Tomorrow I'd plan my next steps, but right now I needed to sleep. I climbed into bed and flicked the light off. A bump in the night snapped me awake. A heavy thud like something hit their fist against a wall. I climbed out of bed and hopping on one leg, pulled on a dirty t-shirt and pair of jeans. I tucked my chrome switchblade in my back pocket. Another thud from downstairs, heavier than the last. What was Howie going to say about this? I grabbed my crutches, carefully moved down the stairs, and peered into the living room. The blue glow of muted television cast over the room. Howie was still fast asleep on the couch. Thump! The basement door shook this time. Like somebody slammed their forehead against it. I backstepped away, deeper into the living room. Howie was out like a rock. Must be a heavy sleeper. Thump. Okay, I told myself to breathe. Remember the rules. Barricading the door will slow him down, but it'll be loud. That's all this was. 
I'll put in some earplugs and blast some white noise and fall asleep. Turning back toward the kitchen, I stepped across the room as quietly as possible. Last thing I wanted was for Howie to wake up and start asking more questions. Thump! This time the hardwood floor shook beneath my feet. I froze. My eyes drifted back to Howie, still asleep, his face motionless, almost serene. I turned back to the kitchen. I was starting to wonder if Howie could even hear the sounds coming from the basement. Stepping to the kitchen, I... Brandon? A small muffled voice came out from behind. I looked back over my shoulder towards the basement door. Brandon? The voice repeated slightly deeper now. I turned around and faced it head on. Brandon? From behind the door, basement door, the voice strained, sympathetic and familiar. Brandon? The voice repeated my name again and again, each time sounding completely different, like a slot machine shuffling through different tones up until it hit the right one. You in there? It was getting familiar now. You okay? Suddenly, the voice shifted into a tone eerily reminiscent of my late father, an increasingly accurate doppelganger impression. He was talking directly to me, gently knocking, the same way father did to my bedroom door after Zach. My best and only childhood friend died, like a spirit mimic, using my own memories to haunt me, a memory that until now I did my best to ignore. After Zach died, I walked home, sat on my bed, and stared blankly at the vinyl closet doors for six hours straight, eyes tracing every path of wood grain pattern again and again, the entire world outside dissolving into nothing, the starscape painted walls around me somehow pushing closer and closer. I'm here if you need to talk, kid, said my father one last time. For a second, I forgot it was the intruder speaking. I almost believed it was actually Dad, standing at the basement door, gently knocking. Silence. Lingering silence stretched on for minutes. While I just stood there, paralyzed, not breathing, eyes locked at the basement door. Finally, my lungs forced me to gasp in air. Oxygen flooded into my brain, and awareness came rushing back. On the TV played a silent infomercial about vegetable blending thing, and how it was still fast asleep. I shook out, out my hands, went back into the kitchen, opened the drawer beside the fridge, and pulled out a pair of orange earplugs. It's not real, I told myself again, trying to take Paul's advice. I slipped the drawer shut. It's all inside your head. But again, the words fell flat, like empty platitudes after a funeral. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I turned back across the living room and crutched my way onto the stairs. Time to sleep. Brandon? I was halfway up the stairs when a different voice called out from behind the basement door. A teenager's voice. Strange but familiar. I looked back over my shoulder. Brandon? The voice repeated, this time tinged with fear. This time, completely familiar. Long-forgotten memories came crushing back. Memories of Zack, my childhood friend. Memories I ignored and shoved away because it was easier to pretend they never happened. It was easier to do everything in my power to ignore it than to face the dread head-on. It was easier to pretend Zack never even existed. Brandon? Help. Zack's voice quivered, terrified. Something's down here, he whispered. Brandon? He pulled the door handle and the door shook. Brandon? He whimpered, the fear in his voice growing each time he spoke. Brandon, open the door, please. He pulled the handle again, harder this time. Brandon, please open the door. He banged his fist against it. Brandon, I'm sorry. Brandon? His voice trailed off into sobbing whimpers and he slid down the door, muffled muffled weeping. An image crawled in my head, the image of Zack, green hoodie pulled over his head, curled up in a ball, weeping at the top of the basement stairs. Silence. 
A shrill scream of terror, primal, almost inhuman, followed by the quick thumping sound of a body dragging over the stairs. Screaming and pleading all the while. Drug downstairs, down the hallway into the rec room, kicking and screaming and begging. Up from the basement, echoing through a vent in the wall next to my ear. I'm sorry, another voice, panicked and remorseful. I'm so, I'm sorry, Zach. Zach, I'm so sorry. I can't, I don't. The sickening sound of bone cracked against concrete. Like a tree branch snapped in the wind. The percussive beat of skull against stone. Again and again and again. Whimpering shrieks for help, turning more unintelligible with every impact. Even worse, the person killing him was profusely and sincerely apologizing all the while. I'm sorry, oh god, I'm so sorry, Zach. Sudden silence. Five seconds of silence. Or five minutes. I don't know. Only silence. Silence and then sniffling whimpers. Not Zach's voice. Not my father's voice. But the voice of someone who I assumed was the intruder. Crying, almost sobbing. Oh no. It moaned, but filled with unimaginable guilt. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, it wailed. Then I heard it drop to its knees and fall to its side and curl up in a ball and trail off into pitiful, whimpering sorrow. This went on for several minutes until finally it trailed off into silence, sniffling the sound of somebody standing up, the sound of somebody dragging a body against concrete, deeper and deeper into the basement, quieter and quieter, as if the rec room stretched on further than it should, further and further away until... Nothing. Dazed in a trance, I wandered up the stairs and into my bedroom. I pulled the door shut, stuck my ear plugs in, and crawled into bed. I shut my eyes and realization flooded over me. Coat rack. Finally, I understood the nagging itch in the back of my head. A realization was so obvious. I hated myself for not getting it sooner. I burst into laughter. Not happy laughter. Not funny laughter. Insane, compulsive laughter. Curled into a ball on my bed. I turned onto my side and stared at the fake cherry wood vinyl closet doors. The doors that reminded me of my childhood bedroom. My eyes traced along the paths of wood grain patterns and the words of Paul played through my head all the while. Take that coat rack out past city limits and douse it in gasoline and burn it. I told Paul a lot of things, but I never told him it was a coat rack. Part 7 Rule 1 He will begin in the furthest corner of your basement. If you see him, do not overreact. He may decide to move on. I woke to the sound of rain. Rain tapping against the bedroom window and sneaking downward. A pointless race to the bottom. Large drops consuming the smaller. I sat up and stared at the shut closet doors. The horrific sounds of last night still echoed in my head. Reaching for my crutches, I stopped short. Water. A puddle on the windowsill. I grabbed a single crutch, pushed up to standing, and hopped over. Water dripped off the windowsill and onto the floor. I wiped my hand against it. Cloudy white droplets come to my finger, clung to my fingertips. I ran another hand along the edge of the window seam until I caught a snag. More water. The seal was broken. Yet another expense I didn't have the money for. Wiping my hand off on my shirt, I turned back around when another memory entered my head. The dripping sound of the basement. The puddle of water and clumps of wet dirt in the basement corner. What exactly was that about? I grabbed my other crutch and went downstairs. Howie's green backpack sat in the middle of the living room floor. Howie? I said. No response. Shrugging, I moved into the kitchen. Maybe he went out for the day. Either way, my curiosity was getting the better of me once again. 
The barricaded basement door was inviting me down. One last time I stood there, thinking about puddles and coat racks, ruminating. I never specifically mentioned the coat rack to Paul. Sure, there's a chance he could have overheard me talking with Mitch, but that seemed unlikely. Maybe he was really possessed by the man of the basement. Maybe I really am completely insane. Maybe I'm trapped in a madness triggered by Mitch's note in a misplaced coat rack, but that seemed crazier than the actual situation. Regardless, I needed, an investi- needed to investigate the basement one last time. I couldn't go through the main door, but thankfully one of the spare rooms down there had a window, a small window stuck in a cramped window well, but a window nonetheless. Hopefully, the few extra quarantine pounds wouldn't prevent me from squeezing through. I brought my trusty switchblade and a pencil-sized high-powered flashlight. I'd be going in dark because the light switch was on the stairs, and so was the intruder. I wasn't thrilled at the prospect of going going back down there, but according to the rules, the intruder couldn't hurt me. At least that was implied. I crouched down to the gravel window well. Moving around with one leg was getting a little easier, but I still needed crutches. Through the window, I slid my crutches in first, and then my flashlight. Both fell to the carpeted floor inside, a little louder than I had liked. Feet first, I pulled myself through and stepped down to the rec room, a room no bigger than a walk-in closet. Crowded with unopened boxes, squatting down, I picked up my crutches and flashlight. It's not real, I told myself once again, flickering the the flashlight on switch. Nothing. Are you fucking kidding me? I literally changed the batteries five minutes ago. I shook the light. I smacked it with the palm of my hand and it flickered to life. Thank fuck. I was starting to feel like a Silent Hill character. Clunky walking controls included. Flashlight between my teeth, I crutched across the room, deeper into the basement. My hand gripped around the doorknob, and I froze. The insanity of me being down here again suddenly hit me. Was this really such a good idea? I glanced back at the open window, inviting sunlight cast into the room, the peaceful sound of rain padding against gravel. I turned back to the door. I still didn't I still don't know why, but something told me the water in the basement corner would answer many questions. Filled with bitter resolve, I clenched my fist around the doorknob, turned it, and gently pushed open the door with my knee. Okay. It was quiet down here, like the entire world behind me suddenly vanished into non existence. I stepped into the hallway, turned to my left, the light between my teeth cast in the distant stairwell corner. Empty. Thank God. I turned to my right. The cold, concrete rec room greeted me, uninviting as always. Even before all this, the rec room creeped me out. There was something about hallways that led to rooms with blind corners on the other side. Anything could be hiding there, waiting to jump out at you as you stepped in. The random stacks of cardboard boxes didn't help either. I crouched forward. Shadows in the rec room's back wall lurched up and down with each forward step. My eyes darted back and forth, searching for anything, any possible movement. I stepped into the rec room and swivel-checked the corners. Nothing. Everything is motionless, so still. It's almost like the room was on pause. A thin layer of dust covered it all. I crouched forward again, and my cast-covered leg bumped into a stack of precarious boxes. A stack of boxes that collapsed into another stack of boxes, and then, and then another. The tumbling crash of random objects slammed in the concrete floor. I tensed up, bracing for the noise to stop, feeling like a fool of it took. Finally, the domino cacophony stopped. Silence returned. I looked back over my shoulder, casting light into the stairwell corner. Empty. Good. I half expected something terrible to be stood there. I waited with held breath, 
waiting, waited for the intruder to stagger down the steps, but nothing happened. Not even the sound of breathing. Not even the smell of burnt hair. Okay, I turned around and crept towards the back corner. I squatted down and studied the corner, the same corner where the water had dripped a few nights back. I looked up. Pink insulation and pipes. Maybe it really was just a leak. Maybe I came all the way back down here for no good reason. I was about to stand back up when something caught my eye. Dust, or rather, the lack of dust. A perfectly dustless square in the corner of a concrete wall against three feet by three feet. I leaned in close and squinted. There was a hair-thin line in the concrete. A crack, only visible from the perfect angle. A thin line forming the shape of a square, like someone had cut into the concrete a laser. Reflexively, I placed my hand against the dustless square and pushed. The panel shifted backwards a satisfying click, then shifted forward and slid to the side, revealing an entrance. An entrance barely big enough to crawl through. I looked back over my shoulder, shining the flashlight at the door to the rec room. Still nothing. I turned around and crutched down further. The entrance led to a tunnel. A long, straight tunnel with dirt walls, dirt floors, and, a strained, er, and strained beams holding it all together. It went for about 20 feet, then took a hard turn to the right. A hard turn directly toward Paul's house. I barely even registered what I saw. The basement light flicked on. My eyes flinched as they reached the sudden light. It reacted to the sudden light, and I spun around. Eyes opened. Still nothing. Time to leave. I pushed up the standing and crutched back towards the hallway. The basement light flicked off again. Fuck this. Picked up speed, hauled down the hallway. Shoulder pushed back into the spare room. Slammed the door shut and, lock and locked it. Taking a deep breath, I stepped away from the door, spun around, and shoved my crutches through the open window. I hoisted myself through the scrambled out of the window well. I crawled away from the window and laid with my back on the wet lawn. Catching my breath, I stared at a gray sky, up at gray skies. Suddenly, my phone buzzed to life in my pocket. I pulled it out. One missed call. Unknown number. Voicemail. One message. I tapped into voicemail and held it to my ear. Hey, Brandon. It's Paul. I've... I'd like to set things straight. Call me back when you get a chance. I haven't been fully transparent with you. Yeah, no shit. Part 8 Throughout all this, I kept thinking of my childhood friend, Zach. They've never found his body. The only thing they found was a green bicycle, mangled, twisted, and stained with blood and guts. Hit and run, according to the police. Likely a semi-truck that didn't even know at first. Some driver, driving for miles, oblivious to the mess of gore stuck at the front of his truck, driving all the way to the next brake stop. It's more common than you think. The driver probably didn't... The driver probably got spooked, cleaned the gore off his truck, lied to himself, and said it was just a deer or something. And that's that. I never bought it, back when I still cared. I was convinced something else was at play. Something incomprehensible. In, incomprehensibly terrible. It took me over ten years to finally accept the given explanation. That was the first step to acting on. Or the first step to moving on. I finally stopped thinking about Zack every day. Sometimes I didn't even think about him for weeks. Even months. Up until the intruders mocking theatrics, I'd barely thought about Zack for years. And that was fine by me. Anything to get a good night's sleep. But now, memories of Zack played through my head like half-remembered dreams. Like the time he jumped for a second-story window onto his trampoline and his mom screamed at us for the, from the living room. The time he stayed up all night playing Super Mario Bros. When my dog died and Zack came over and didn't say anything. 
didn't try to make me feel better. He just sat with me, and that's all I needed. I didn't have a real friend like Zach before, and I haven't had one since. I agreed to meet with Paul in a public park. My plan was simple. Let him do all the talking. Hopefully learn something along the way. At this point, it didn't make much sense to confront Paul on anything. I'd only bring the coat rack if I needed. I still didn't even know if Paul was Paul. But that didn't matter right now. Gray skies above, Paul sat in a park bench overlooking a duck-filled pond. Reddish-orange autumn leaves carpeted over muddy grass. I approached from behind. Paul? He looked back over his shoulder, breathing fog. Let's go for a walk. We trudged down the gravel path, boots crunching against the gravel. You know, I struggle with booze, right? Said Paul. I nodded. I told you the first time I was the intruder was in the basement, yeah? Well, that wasn't ex entirely accurate. I did see him once before that, way back in 81. Holly and I, not married yet, were camping out in Utah, LaSalle Mountains. He stopped talking and looked around if, to make sure nobody else was too close. Satisfied, he looked straight ahead as he moved down the path. So there was his area, he continued, not far from the main campsite. Bunch of caves. Not caves like tunnels or whatever you think. More like a pile of giant boulders overgrown with trees and moss and tiny spaces between the boulders. Crevices. Some of them big enough to crawl through. Yellow, si yellow signs up. Don't enter the... Paul suddenly stopped talking. Up ahead on the gravel path, a tall man with a scarf wrapped around his lower face strode toward us. He was heading straight for Paul, his boots crunching against the gravel faster and faster until he strode right past us, as if we weren't even there. Paul looked back over his shoulder, waiting for a safe distance before continuing. So we're out by these caves, and I was drinking. More than I should have been, and Holly would have jumped from boulder to boulder. Having fun, you know? But some of those rocks must have been over 40 feet tall. So we reached this one crevice, a bit wider than the rest. A sheer drop, about 30 feet down, getting thinner and thinner right up to a slit of darkness below. Holly jumps at first, no problem. I jump in next, and... My foot slips. He stopped walking for a moment, thinking back, remembering. Part of me wanted to cut him off, burst into accusations, but another part just wanted to know what happened. He trudged onward, so I tumbled over backwards, head first into this crevice. My skull slammed against the wall and I black out. Come to about 20, maybe 30 seconds later and I can barely breathe. My body's wedged between the boulders, my chest squeezed down on either side. My neck twisted and viced between the walls. I was stuck, upside down and looking straight into the darkness below. He stopped walking again, and his eyes drifted back towards a nearby bench. You mind if I sit? I didn't respond. Paul strode over and slumped down on the bench, staring out over the pond. His cold blue eyes snapped back and forth over the water. I squatted down on the path in front of him, resting my elbows on my knees. A shimmering breeze crept over the pond and a wet leaf stuck to the back of my head. I pulled it out and tossed it back into the wind. So I'm stuck, said Paul, upside down, head first, wedged between these two giant boulders, blood rushing, ears ringing out, gasping a little sips of air as my vision blurs in and out. Holly, Holly's above, screaming down, asking if I'm okay, but I can't answer. I try speaking, but only muffled whimpers escape. Ever had a nightmare where you scream for help and your voice falls back into your throat? Again, I didn't respond. So Holly, Paul continues, she can see my feet 
twitching down there, so she knows I'm still alive, and she yells down she's going to get help. Tells me to try and stay awake. This is pre-cell phones, mind you, though I doubt they would have had service out there anyway. He sniffled a little and wiped his nose with the back of his sleeve. So now, he said, I'm stuck out here, completely alone. Sun's still out, but it's getting dark. I'm in the shadows anyway. I can't really describe the terror of it, being stuck like that. Maybe you could imagine it's like being stuck between giant, two giant boulders head first upside down. He looked at me, expecting a laugh. I breathed out my nose. He looked away. So I'm there, doing everything I can to stay calm. Keep saying, you know, trying to focus on what little breath I had. Making notes of my surroundings, green moss, gray rocks, shadowy crevice. He paused again, then looked directly at me. And that's when I saw him, or at least the faintest outline of him. My eyes were still adjusting, but down below, about ten feet away, something was there. He went silent, his pupils dilated, as if he was back in the dark. I thought it was a giant spider at first. He looked away, embarrassed. Stupid, I know. He wiped his nose with the side of his hand. Then I thought it was like rocks, maybe. Optical illusion, you know? All I could see was the faint shape of a body and the glint of what might be eyes. So maybe it was nothing. When my vision adjusted, the whole picture came slowly into view. Still dark, still covered in shadow, but unmistakable. A man was down there. His body contorted and twisted, wedged between the rocks, like a trapdoor spider. Motionless, so fucking still. Almost stiller than the stone. Like a circus contortionist, hid down there. Waiting for me. Paul shook his head like a chill went down his spine. His face filled with absolute nothing. Cold eyes, dead eyes, like shark eyes. Again, Paul looked straight at me. Maybe it's a body, I thought, trying to make sense of it. Maybe somebody fell down here before me. But then, Paul cleared his throat. His face was changing. Changing so slow it was almost invisible. Like the sun moving. You can't see it actually move, but next thing you know, it's over there. His blank face shifting to a portrait of pure terror. Like he was mirroring my inner emotion. My heart beat faster, thumping against the rock with every pump. My vision fading as all the blood in my body drained, downward until I was about to pass out. I welcomed it. Then I heard him speak. Paul grimaced respect- regretfully. Oh, maybe heard is not the right word. He didn't open his mouth, and I didn't really hear anything. But I felt it, like something getting carved in my spine. This is... All me being stuck between two rocks, barely breathing. This is all everything ever was, and ever would be. Everything else. My life with Holly. Fishing on a summer weekend. Biking down the number seven. It's all nothing but a thin sheet that can be... Can and will be ripped away at any second. Paul shifted his weight. I can't explain why, but that unspoken message was so clear. Like my entire life had been a dream, and I'd just woken up. There wasn't a shred of doubt in my mind, said Paul. Of course, that didn't make me feel any better. He chuckled bitterly. My panic shot to levels I didn't even think possible. The intruder's face changing to match. My vision getting dimmer and dimmer as more and more blood pushed into my head until, finally, I blacked out again. He paused. Again, looking as if to make sure nobody else was within earshot. I wake up in an ambulance, hysterical, screaming and wailing about the man tucked between the rocks like a spider, hauling the paramedics doing everything they could to calm me down, keep me from hurting myself. Finally, they ended up sedating me, and I dozed off into the, ho- into the hospital. He wiped his mouth. Concussion. Minor cuts and bruises, he chuckled. All that for that. Doctor said me it's... Doctor told me it's common for concussed people to hallucinate, 
especially considering the lack of oxygen to me being upside down. Doctor told me about a fellow who almost drowned once. Thought he saw the Easter Bunny in the water. I've always been scientifically minded. That made sense to me. Brains play tr- weird tricks. Hallucination made more sense than some circus contortionist sneaking down there just to fuck with me. Paul sighed, leaning forward, and rested his elbows on his knees. He looked at me as if that was all he had left to say. I was about to speak when... I'm guessing you found the tunnel, huh? said Paul, nonchalantly. I didn't respond. I don't know how. Paul nodded, pushed up from the bench, and walked down the path I followed. Yeah, I meant to tell you about that, said Paul, smiling grimly. So, after I tried shooting the intruder all those years back, he rubbed the knuckle stub where his pinky finger used to be. Things got bad. Really bad. The fucker started taking steps forward each or every other day. Sometimes every single day. Tried a lot of things to slow him down, but the only thing that worked, the maze and the bunker door. Had some friends of the army help me with that. He shook his head. I was a medic in the war. Did I ever tell you that? Again, I didn't respond. I was doing everything in my power to stay calm. Of course, Holly and I were already on thin ice, and then I shot my own finger off. He smirked. Building an apocalypse maze bunker was the cherry on top. She took the kids and left, which honestly was fine by me. I didn't want my family around the intruder anyway, or around me, for that matter. I was still painfully aware of the fact that I might just be completely insane. He stopped walking for a moment, looking around again. He continued, but her leaving, that really kicked me in gear. I forced myself to stop drinking. I started getting help, professional help. Started talk, started taking meds, the right meds, and sure enough, things actually got better. The bunker door seemed to be keeping the intruder at bay. Sure, he was loud as hell, banging on every night, but I wore earplugs, blasted white noise, and that was good enough. In a weird way, I was almost at peace with what, with his being there. Paul sighed, breathing out fog as he walked along the path. So anyway, one night, maybe six, seven months after Holly left, I woke up, and it's quiet, dead quiet. No banging on the door, no screaming and howling from the basement, just nothing, and its silence filled me with fear worse than anything I'd felt before, getting stuck between this boulder included. It terrified me for a few reasons. First, it made me wonder what he was up to. Second, I'd gotten so used to the sound I couldn't even sleep without it. In a twisted way, the intruder had given me a purpose, something to reckon with, and now he was gone. Paul looked up at the gray autumn sky, squinting as diffuse sunlight cast against his face. So a few weeks of nothing go by, and then, on a Sunday afternoon, Holly calls me up out of nowhere. I guess she heard through the, uh, the grapevine that I was doing better, getting help, you know? She asked me how I was doing, asked me if I wanted to go get coffee, maybe see a movie. Can you believe that? Just like how we met? She asked me out, back in those days, smiling. Paul shook his head. I said that'd be nice, said next Tuesday be alright. Paul went silent as he considered his next words carefully. Then I sat the phone down and turned around, and there, set in the middle of the living room floor, a bottle of cognac. He scoffed, unopened. Paul rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. I was sober for over half a year at this point, but I drank the whole thing. He glanced over at me, catching the judgment in my eyes. He looked back down the path. I drank because it was there, said Paul, and then... I get the brilliant idea to go check to the intruder, or check on the intruder, you know, just to see what he'd been up to. I only ever tried to kill him once, and that backfired. Paul chuckled. My shit-faced brain got some ideas in it, and I, I, drunk as hell, staggered downstairs, lurched open the bunker door, and tumbled inside. 
but there's nothing down there. No stack of boxes, no circus contortionist, nothing. So I stagger further, down through the maze all the way to the back corner. And there it is, a tunnel dug into the basement floor, barely big enough to crawl through. Now I assumed he was setting to wrap back around to my house, so I lost my mind. I scrambled back upstairs, planned to come back down with my 9 mil again and try God knows what. Paul started walking faster now. And then I go upstairs and there he is, standing, frozen, standing in the dead center of the living room, right where the bottle of cognac was, covering his face with his hands like a kid trying to hide. And that's when I finally fucking noticed it. On his left hand, the fifth finger was cut off short at the first knuckle. Paul held up his own hand. Everything suddenly clicked. He snapped his fingers with surprising loudness. I didn't know why, and I still don't know why, but he connected to me. And in my head, the only way to stop it was he trailed off into somber sounds. Still drunk as fuck and not thinking straight, I got into my old pickup truck and peel off down the hill. Up to the number seven, and I just drive. I drove past Old House, up to the merchant, and kept going. I knew exactly where I was headed. Pedaled the floor the whole way there. Finally feeling like everything made sense. Like every single little thing in my entire life was building towards this, you know? I didn't respond. So I keep driving, faster and faster up towards the Bali cliffs. Ballery cliffs. Whipping around every corner like a high-speed chase until I screeched to a stop. Nearly slammed my face against the steering wheel. High beams cast over a long stretch of empty road. Everything pointed toward the Bali road lookout. He stopped walking and stared straight ahead, as if he was back in my truck. Looking down a long stretch of road, he shifted back into gear, slammed my f- I shifted back into gear, slammed my foot on the pedal, and the tires spun out against the pavement. A few seconds before they caught, the truck lurched forward, hauling faster now, straight towards the cliff's edge, city lights below casting up into the night above. I shut my eyes. Any second now, I'd be sailing through the midair and... Again, he snapped his fingers. Everything crumpled into a crashing stop. My head snapped backwards and smothered into latex airbag. The stench of plastic and booze and gasoline. He paused for a moment, eyes flicking back and forth across the path ahead. Turns out the city installed stopping posts on the cliff's edge, said Paul. Front bumper falling off. I drove all the way back home. It was bright out by the time I got there. The intruder was gone. Paul started walking again. I latched the bunker door and didn't go back down for years. The whole time expecting any day he'd come pushing up through the floor, but it never happened. Paul shrugged. Now, look, I know it's a lot of talking, but all this to say I can help you pass this off to somebody else. I shook my head, tired of the games, tired of the workarounds. The same way he passes off to me? I mean, it wasn't intentional, but yes, more or less, look, you don't need to decide right away. How far along is he? Top of the stairs. Still in the basement? Yes. Do you have a guest over? Yes. You barricaded the door? Yes. Good. Take some time to think about it. Even if he gets out of the basement, there are other ways to pass him off. Also, don't be freaked out if you see him upstairs. Even with the door barricaded, he can do that. But he'll always set back to where he left off. All this rambling still didn't explain his inexplicable knowledge of the coat rack. I almost bought it up, but stopped short. Maybe Mitch was right. Maybe the intruder really did get to Paul. Part 9 Part of me wanted to take up Paul's offer. Part of me wanted to bunker, barricade the basement door, and pass off my problem to somebody else. 
move away and pretend like nothing, none of this ever happened. But I didn't. I wish I could say I was out of some bedrock moral principle, but mainly, I refused Paul because I didn't trust him. I doubt Paul even trusted Paul. So far as I was adding pieces to an ever-evolving clusterfuck of a jigsaw puzzle, a puzzle that made less sense and less, less and less sense the more I learned, part of me wondered if there was the point, if the chaos and confusion was part of the game. Maybe the intruder thought it was funny. Still, the main question remained. Is there a way to stop the intruder without passing it off to somebody else? My car rattles as it drone down the number 7 highway. I was on my way back home from meeting with Paul, and it was already dark out. I needed to get home and sleep. Then a strange feeling came over me, a pressure in my forehead. Not quite painful, but incredibly uncomfortable. Not a migraine either. It felt like a thin sheet of something suddenly appeared behind my, the skin of my forehead, pressing against my skull. I could almost feel my face pulling tighter. I rubbed my forehead with the back of my arm and... Something big darted out in, front, in the road in front of me. My foot slammed on the brakes and my car swerved in a screeching drift. Everything outside blurred into a hazy streak and came to a crashing stop. My car slammed into a roadside barrier post. My head whiplashed sideways and cracked against the window. I blacked out and came back only seconds later. My headlights cast into open field across the road. In the distance, a brown bear scrambled off into the dark. That's what I almost hit. I moved my arm to feel the side of my head. I moved my arm. I couldn't move it. I tried to turn my head. Nothing. I tried breathing. Nothing. I tried moving my eyes. With great effort, I glanced to the left, then to the right. I know you're here. A strange but familiar voice echoed in the car. You fucker. Concussion, I told myself. I hit my head. And these were just the symptoms. I couldn't smell anything either, or hear anything, other than the voice. I forced my eyes down to the steering wheel. It wasn't my steering wheel, and those were my hands gripping around it. This wasn't my body. I was trapped behind someone else's eyes. A silent passenger, like that Malkovich movie. I felt like I was flattened out, pressed between forehead and skull, my senses fading in all the while. Sound first, sound of torrential rain beating down against the windshield. Howling wind as it gusted through the midnight fields. And the sound of breathing. Not my own breathing. The breathing of whoever I was trapped inside. Smell faded in next. Whiskey and vanilla flavored smoke. One of the hands reached up and adjusted the rearview mirror. Cold blue eyes stared back at me. It was Paul. He looked younger. Early 40s, maybe. Welcome back, he said. Slurring his words, staring at himself through dilated pupils. He was talking directly to me. Paul coughed and rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. Pressure squeezed against me like a crushing vice. He smacked his forehead with the palm of his hand, and a jolt of pain shot through me. He hit himself again and again and again, each impact more painful than the last, until finally he stopped. Paul readjusted the mirror, shifted back in the drive, and pulled onto the road. Frantic window wipers struggled to keep the rain at bay. I could feel everything now. The rumble of the highway, the taste of booze and tobacco, even blood. I was paralyzed. With what little control I had, I forced Paul's vision downward. He tapped the brakes and swerved to the opposite lane, then swerved back. Don't, don't fucking do that, he mumbled. And then another voice entered. Just keep driving, you're almost done. It was Paul's voice again, but different, not slurred. Keep fucking driving, you're almost there. I was hearing his thoughts. Maybe hearing wasn't the right word. I was feeling them. As if the thoughts were my own but they stuttered in and out like a bad radio signal. 
Up ahead on the side of the road, something bright green. I forced his eyes to look, and he swerved. The car slipped into a tailspin and sideswiped into something. Two sickening thumps, and the car slammed bumper first into a road barrier, side barrier post. Paul's head snapped forward into the steering wheel and... Darkness. Trip. I was trapped behind someone else, somebody else's eyes now. I could feel their thoughts. But this was no ordinary thought stream. It was a dripping fractal of swarming thoughts streaming all battling for control. Random memories jumped out from a subconscious mess like a fish climbing a waterfall. Coat rack. One step. Idiot. Stupid fucking idiot. This was a soul forever damned to an eternity of paralyzed chaos and suffering. This was the intruder. I knew it. I could feel their feet now, pressed against scratchy carpet. They took one step forward, then another, and another. Seven quick steps downward, until they tumbled into wall. Silence. Then, as if puppeteered from above, they slid up the wall and rose to standing in. I snapped into another person, walking down my neighborhood street. We'd sell them to the neighbors, said a familiar voice. Pine cones, five cents apiece. It was Mitch. He looked at his side, and there, about six feet away, I stood. Mitch shook his head, and a chill went down his spine. I suddenly stood in the front of my own door, looking up at myself. I've seen enough of those for a while. How his voice echoed as he rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb? Darkness. I couldn't even think straight. Paul's voice echoed. Leaving. Coat rack. Charm. Coat rack. Filament. The intruder's voice echoed. Daylight. I stood outside the roadside diner, trapped behind Paul's eyes as he climbed out a red Kawasaki motorcycle and looked back towards the diner. Through the window, I stared at me. Darkness. Now I shuffle through random memories. Upside down, barely breathing, stuck between two boulders, and the darkness below me, the faintest shape of a person, impossibly tucked between the rocks like a coiled-up viper, the glint of dead eyes. Darkness. A backyard shed, cluttered with junk, hands frantically wrapped wire around the shattered remnants of a coat rack. Darkness. Crawling through a tunnel, a dirt ceiling scraped against my back. Darkness. I'm sorry. Oh, God, Paul's voice. I stepped out of a truck. Headlights cut through the night, and freezing rain showered down. Red and guts mixed with water on the pavement, and a bloody streak led up a road to a bloody 50 feet away crawling. Or to a body 50 feet away crawling. Darkness. The rhythmic thud of a hammer clanging against nails. I stood at the top of the basement steps, staring at a closed door, paralyzed. Darkness. A hospital bed in a bedroom. Military and medical equipment scattered everywhere. Darkness. A blaring truck horn. I finally snapped back to the present, inches from the front of my car. A semi-truck sped by. I was parked on the highway shoulder at a 90-degree angle. The sun was rising. I was back in the present. Or at least, that's what I assumed. I looked at my hands. My hands. I clenched them shut and opened them. I rubbed my forehead with the back of my thumb, pulled on the highway, and drove. I had no idea what the fuck just happened.
just wanted to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to send in your stories, you can send them to podcastfear at gmail.com. That's podcastfear at gmail.com. And I'll showcase your stories in the next one. We have about three more episodes of this to go, or three more stories of this to go. So we have part 10, 11, and 12 that they have out so far. I'm not sure if 12 is the actual conclusion of it, but if it's not, I guess we'll come back to it. But as far as I know, next week we will go ahead and we'll do 10, 11, and 12, and we will finish out the thing and we can move on to other stories. I love this story so far, but I am definitely ready for some new stories. So I appreciate you guys listening. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and share it to whoever you want to. I'm sure your grandma would love it. And remember to always face your fears.